Why We Bleep is sponsored by Signal Sounds. Signal Sounds is now ensconced in what can only be described as a synth bunker with a more expanded range of demo stuff. They've got this thing called natural light. I think they've achieved it with windows, uh, which have been put into the shop in order to cast a sort of pleasing glow over the equipment and a warm, lusty sheen to the staff inside. There are, quite simply, more synths and more other stuff in the store now. And so if you haven't been or aren't aware of the amount of amazing things that they have in Signal Sounds, I honestly don't know what the bloody hell you think you're doing. The postperson's been bringing in many editions, including the Industrial Music Electronics Bionic Lester, the Game Changer Audio Plasma Pedals. Those are pedals that literally uh, spit plasma and lightning business through them. And the Waldorf STVC String Synth and Vocoder. It's based on the Streichfett, which is a bit of a sleeper, and I love it. This is Jason's words. Actually, I agree with him. I actually think the Streichfett is a wonderful synth. We're not terribly well known. They've got them, so you can go and play on one. And many other things, including their accepting orders for the Buchler Easel Command. They're getting all West Coast up there in the north. All this and more can be yours if you pick up the phone or point your computer at the incredibly awesome synth suppliers that are Signalsounds.com. Once again, it's Signalsounds.com. Why We Bleep is also sponsored by Eurodesk Z Hex. Do you ever head into your studio only to be distracted by organising your patch cables? The Hex Zero One keeps your entire collection of cables within arm's reach, helping you just focus on creative batching. It is literally able to store hundreds of patch cables in one wonderfully small footprint. Jesse sent me one, and it actually has made my life better. Hex One, one hanger, to store them all. And for a limited time, Jesse will give you 10% off your entire order by using the code MYLAR at checkout. Go to eurodesk-z.com. That's code MYLAR at eurodesk-z.com. Why? Greets, bud. You okay? Hopefully you are extremely well. Well, I'm extremely well. Pretty much everything's happened in my life since we last spoke. Had a few life events. Few things have been going on, just the one or two little things. It seems that life events are like waiting for buses. About a year ago, I moved from London to Yorkshire and then bought a Skoda, which is definitely a life event. A couple of years previous to that, I got married. And then in these last couple of months, I bought a house, which is pretty awesome. I had to leave London to do it, but I bought one and we've got one and it's going to need a lot of work. But it's the dream space actual space in which I can lay out all the myriad objects that I've accumulated over my life and enjoy them in relative comfort and with 
gaps of air in between them so that I can have things like bits of gear set up in little like relationships, little clusters and have the room to do that as well as also having the room to have like lights and cameras and tripods and stuff set up around gear to actually film videos where you don't have to tear your studio apart every single time you want to film something. By God, it'll be easier when we're in the house, which we're not. <laughs> because unfortunately the house is a bit of a fixer-upper Though it is awesome. It's kind of a bit grandpa chic at the moment. It's kind of like the inside to a, a sort of East End boozer from the 1960s right now. Except in Leeds. So it's like the inside of a Leeds boozer from the 1960s. But eventually it will be a hipster paradise filled with synthesizers. And I'm looking forward to it. But heck, bit of work to do. But to be honest, that piece of information is not my major life event. Normally it would be, but it was eclipsed by what can only be described as the biggest life event that anyone can possibly encounter. And that's having a baby. Good God. Having a baby. It's remarkable how something that has been done over 107 billion times really is the most spectacular and remarkable miracle that you can experience when it happens to you. Um, I was talking to Mr. Adrian Utley about having kids and he said something very sweet. He said, in his words, it's effing amazing. And it's very different when it's your kids. Looking after your kids is not the same as looking after other people's annoying kids. It's different. It's the best. And a lot of people I love and respect have said the same thing. It's the best. I think it is actually the best, I have to say. The moment that Squeebles was removed from his uterine prison and then (laughs) delivered into our arms. um, Yeah. Holy shit. It's quite, it is quite amazing. And I, it's taken me several days and weeks and probably the rest of my life to process how amazing it actually is. But it is. And he's a little doll. He's beautiful and extremely sweet. And he's actually been sleeping really well, which is bizarre. And as I said on Instagram, when I shared a little picture of him, I want to say something very appropriate to the subject of today's podcast, which is women are fucking amazing. That's it. Women are amazing. I can certainly speak for my wife. The things my wife was able to cope with and almost seemed to savour in the sense that she accepted the challenge that had been put towards her and just took it like a champ. I mean, I... The other day I tripped over the dog, (laughs) fell over, and from the really what can only be described as mild to moderate pain from a sprained ankle, I I passed out. (laughs) I had a psychedelic pass out experience in my chair. And she endured pain and sleep deprivation and exhaustion and did the whole thing while stood up dancing. (laughs) And at the end of it was smiling with eternal delight at this little thing. So I don't think I could have done that, um, but she did. And it's something that as men, I can be very, very pleased that the better sex deals with, quite honestly, because they do it better than I think we ever could. 
And this brings us on to the themes of today's podcast, both how amazing women are and also the subject of bringing up kids and influencing them, because it's all weirdly prescient to what I talked to our today's guest about. And today's guest is a lady called Dr. Elizabeth Dobson. Now, Liz Dobson has become known to me through a organisation called the Yorkshire Sound Women Network, which, although it may sound like it, just really sound women in Yorkshire. Well, that's true. It actually is an organisation of really sound women, but also sound women, as in women who work in sound. Now, you may not have heard of Dr. Elizabeth Dobson, but she is a luminary in her field and a fascinating and interesting person to talk to, especially about this idea of creativity and inspiration and how we learn, how, how we best inspire and teach other people, especially young people, obviously, how to get into music and recording. She is a National Teaching Fellow of the HEA and a Principal Enterprise Fellow in Music Technology at the University of Huddersfield. This is where she teaches modules in sonic arts, sound for media, film music composition. She co-founded two knowledge sharing projects, Collab Hub and what we'll talk about today, the Yorkshire Sound Women Network, and maintains an ongoing commitment to new interdisciplinary research on inclusive music technology education. And if you've attended any of the like synthesizer meetups in the United Kingdom, you will probably have noticed a slight skew in gender. It would be fair to say that there is a vast and great disparity between the amount of men and the amount of women at these events. And that's an indicator of something that is a lot harder to see online, but is still present, which is there just are not very many women in the music technology audio recording industry. To, and to an incredibly weird extent. Now, there's an enormous amount to say about this subject. And when you have conversations like this with people, you encounter lots and lots of different opinions. Lots of people have different beliefs on why they think that is. And there are many, many different theories. What I would like you to try and bear in mind is to discount any idea that music technology, although it has technology in the name, that technology is the important part of what we're doing. I don't think it is, because whilst, yes, there is a certain degree of nerdiness and like technical know-how required to operate synthesizers, the end result is sound exploration and music, most of the time, uh, depending on what your goals are with buying synths. I mean, it's okay. You don't have to make music with synths. You can just enjoy them as a meditative process. But sound exploration and music is not gendered. I really, really, I'm going to have to disagree with you if you think that it is, because it's just not. There are plenty of people of different genders who make music. <laughs> so it's not a boyish thing. But I think perhaps the root of one of the problems is that it can be considered boyish because of a lot of societal tropes that there are around technology and therefore who technology is pushed at, namely that technology is pushed at boys. And that comes from so, 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 so many different places. They're basically like memes. There are these sort of tropes, these sort of 
attitudes that that kind of float on the surface of the sea like foam and just kind of just there and everyone kind of goes oh well that's you know that's what we say about this sort of thing that's what everyone says about that so I'll say that as well and I think about this especially as a person who's now got a little fresh mind I will have a huge role in influencing him as he grows older and I will do that consciously and inevitably I will do it subconsciously more so subconsciously because you just can't help it sometimes things happen and you are your own person and they look to you for guidance and to see how to act in certain situations and to know what to say so your kid will ape you in the most traditional and organic sense of that term whether you like it or not and the bottom line is I go on my YouTube channel and I can see the gender split. I was looking at one of my recent videos and it tells me of the logged in users who have declared their gender. How many of them are male? How many of them are female? It is 100% male on the videos that I have made. And I don't think that that's right. (laughs) I think there's something wrong. And it's either my video or it's how encouraging and welcoming we're making this space because there's lots and lots to talk about and we'll get into it in the podcast but let's just assume that music is not a boy thing and that playing with synthesizers therefore shouldn't just be for boys it should be for everyone i want everyone to share in this incredibly awesome nerdy hobby that i have I hope that you think the same thing. And turning someone on to making electronic music is like giving them a gift for life. It's by far one of the best hobbies a person can hope for. So let's talk to Dr. Liz Dobson about creativity and inspiring people. Thanks. But that is an exclusive while we're here as well. I think it's interesting just to get, like, understand your background and this facility as well. For those who don't know, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah. I'm very conscious that, like, um, despite the fact that we're talking about the Yorkshire Sound Women's Network, that it's not about. I don't want you to be here just to talk about being a woman in the industry. That's I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's literally what I don't want to do. There's so much other stuff to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and it can become a, a sort of. A thing where That's what you, you are asked. the minority, you become aware yeah. of it. Um, yeah. Whatever kind of minority you are, you become aware of it. And you're more likely to do some kind of advocacy work. or uh, And then that, then your identity becomes around that work rather than your own practice. And it's a double whammy because your own practice also is uh, set to one side whilst you're doing activism and activism, yeah, you yeah. know. So it, it, it is really important to to put the lens back on what women are doing in their practice as well. So tell me about your background and work and this place. Like, what what is your sort of route here um, and into the world of electronics and sound design composition? So many questions. Yeah, I know, right? uh, (laughs) So, um, yeah, because my my route to Huddersfield is a little bit... um, 
sort of the end of the story in terms of my route into electronic music, which yeah. I think, you know, anybody who's naturally interested in sound in that sort of way was playing with technology when they were kids, you know, and when I was a kid, that meant uh, cassette players and uh, recording sound from the piano and then recording another sound over the top of it. Nice. And, sort of multi-tracking before really did you have like multi-track recorders as a kid no no yeah, no yeah. just cassette players i had a and cassette player with yeah. two tapes that you know and i'd record the family and i'd record my piano and yeah, try yeah. and make compositions that way and i was always very conscious that we, we'd learn about music in school and then sound in physics mm. i could never understand why they were dealt with separately yeah and for me it's always been a sort of spectrum of interest across the whole area. So back then, of course, though, we're talking sort of early 80s, before MIDI, music in the, in the home was, for me, a more sort of classical interest. Mm. Well, there was electronic music, but I guess you weren't... Were your parents playing it or no, you weren't no. aware of it? Like My dad had a record player. Mm. I remember him saying, whatever you do, don't touch this <laughs> stylus here. You know... <laughs> It's worth £50, which back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what the equivalent is now, yeah, a hell of a lot of money. But more than you'd want to replace. Yeah. So I thought, I've got, there are grooves on my finger, and there are grooves on the record player. You know, bearing in mind I was quite little at the time, I thought, I bet that makes an interesting sound. <laughs> and I think that's always been my, you know, fascination with, with sound and music, and how things work. And, yeah. Um, so we had a, a kind of broad range of musics at home, but not really electronic or, elect, you know, nothing mm. like what we're doing now. Um, so did you, we, Wait, you did play your finger? Yeah, I did yeah, do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How did it sound? It just kind of... It's an amazing idea, though. Yeah. Like, I still don't really understand how the grooves on vinyl work, but it's magic to me. That's brilliant. Why do you think... Do you think that you were... Can you try and like place where that initial spark comes from to be because not all kids would necessarily make that connection or be bold enough to try it so i suppose it's or naughty enough. yeah exactly i suppose it's the curiosity of yeah. and the kind of question is how is a person set up to be interested in electronic music or to be like um susceptible to it for want of a better term I suppose it comes down to what's in your environment and your surroundings mm. and uh, some aspects of your nature. Did, I often think when I'm doing my research in um, creativity and learning, I often think about the importance of having access to certain kinds of equipment in order to learn. So when you when you get your hands on a cassette player and you can really manipulate it and listen, mm. you're learning and you're, you're processing and... Um, taking risks and making a mistake, breaking tape, whatever. Um, and I think it's the same for me as I was growing up. I, I had access to a ZX Spectrum, so I could copy code into the computer. Mm. So I developed an understanding about that, which I didn't pick up until actually really recently. But if those things are not in your environment, you don't get the chance to explore them. Yeah. I think that relationship of the two is really crucial. Mm. And, but mm. you were never pushed to do it. It was always something that you found a natural curiosity to experiment. So then, so you're messing around with tape and, or you're being, you're a kid who is happy to experiment. I suppose then how do you, how do you then come to the adult who's, who takes this on as a profession and a, a discipline and all manner, you know, everything? Well, I, I did a very traditional 
uh, classical sort of education at school. We were learning string instruments, so I learned the violin. Mm. I was the third best in our friends group in terms of violin. Uh, So I learned the viola. (laughs) So I tuned my violin down to the sound of a viola. It sounded horrendous as a viola. But then I I ended up deciding I did want to study music at university. So I went to Bangor University and they they had an introduction to music technology and I was naturally interested. And I took whatever music technology modules I could and got a chance to work in the studio and I, I wasn't very good at it. I spent a lot of time listening to the uh, the studio engineer who was our tutor telling me that my bass was too soft or too muddy or too something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he had these beautiful speakers which he'd made out of slate himself. It was It's a gorgeous studio. that, that They have amazing um, studios because they overlook Snowdonia and it's, right. it's very... Uh, nice space oh my god um so i volunteered just recording lunchtime recitals and going out and doing recording concerts just getting as much experience as i could and since then i've worked in higher education which means access to amazing facilities and studios and you know young very inspiring people Mm. for a long time now Tell me a little bit again. Obviously, you've just shown me around this building. There's some like quite incredible stuff, which obviously, and in part, we are surrounded. For those who can't see, we are literally being flanked by two <laughs> EMS synthias, which uh, we were talking. We're trying to like dig some of the provenance of them, but as you said, they've been here since time immemorial. You know, they've mm-hmm. been here for, since they were new, probably, and they they look new. They've like they've never, been kept well. Yeah, they've yeah, been yeah. kept well. Um, it's some amazing equipment. I suppose I'd be really interested to know about. You know, when I was a kid, um, you know, I was particularly interested in animation and design and I was watching like Wallace and Gromit and was, I just learned like Jurassic Park and was like, for me, it was like special effects and kind of Mm -hmm. animation, which were the things that baffled, like amazed me. And as a little kid, I was doing like eight millimeter films, doing stop motion and like clay animation as a little, Mm -hmm. little boy. But I never... I didn't really have an electronic music sort of bug until I was like, I was I was a late bloomer to music full stop and was probably like 15 or 16 when my brothers were playing me like Aphex Twin and Orbital and something about that music kind of caught my ear and then right. it was combined with going to a gig to see Orbital play, actually at the Sheffield Octagon, of course, where they have yeah. synth, I now think of as the place of Synthfest, but... It's interesting coming here because I went. I ended up going to uni to do, as I was saying, do animation and that kind of stuff. But I, I sort of sideloaded myself into an electronic world by by just audaciously buying equipment because of yeah. magazines, future music, and um, and so it's, it was really interesting walking around here and kind of like as I said to you, I was like, I kind of. In a way, I wish I'd known about somewhere like this to know that mm. this was something that was an option for me. Mm. I could have potentially explored this kind of world and had access to things. But yeah. I, the irony is at the time, I probably wouldn't have realised how good a thing it was, especially equipment like the synthes and the, the System 100M and, like, Mm-mm. I wasn't. I would not have realised those things were cool at the time, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. Um, and I suppose my question is, like, it's how do we inspire young people that that electronic music is something that they can explore and maybe they should come or come to university (laughs) perhaps explore it there yeah 
I'm biased, obviously. Yeah, no, yeah, but, I mean, I, I've worked in several places, usually for three years. Mm. I arrived here in 2007, and the music department was in a different building, and I've stayed here ever since for very, very good reasons, and the facilities are second to none. They mm. really are. Um, there, there's nothing that you could imagine wanting that you wouldn't have access to. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the... You used to have the electronic music studios in the old annex, um, and they, I think that's, you know, the, these VCS3 synths were there then, and they were there in 1987 when Michael Clark arrived. So I, I need to dig in to find out, yeah, yeah. you know, when they, they arrived. Back. And they make this, you know, if you really think back to the, the early sort of Doctor Who, Delia Derbyshire sound, you can really hear that mm. here. and. They're, they're super haunting, beautiful synthesizers, <laughs> and we get them out for workshops and taster days, and we get people to get hands-on with this equipment because they have such an interesting patching, mm. different sort of patching um, system yeah. to other sorts of synths. Um, but I think that there's so much that's available digitally. People may be tempted to think that they can achieve anything just digitally yeah, on yeah. their own laptop. Um, but the benefit of coming into a space like this is is that a sense of play and like I was saying before, that interaction with the technology can inspire so many other possibilities mm. that you, you couldn't have imagined just working with it. You know, if you if you think about what you can accomplish just with the software, yeah. however there are certain presets and you could be ending up with the same sound as everybody else almost by default. Mm. It's sort of writing the music for you. And when you change your environment and you expose yourself to other kinds of technologies, mm. other kinds of things can it can bring out of you and yeah. you can bring out of it it's a sort of conversation with the technology and you're learning all the time you're doing that so mm. to be to be in a higher education environment that's well equipped is just it's a gift mm. to opening up new avenues especially if it's um an environment where you can you can get training on how to be an independent artist and how to be if you like a sole trader and, and start marketing yourself and understand mm. it that that sort of independent practitioner industry and have a portfolio career so yeah sound design sound design for film we've had people go on as location recordists we've got people who've gone on to work for companies like ableton yeah. so the, there's that end and then in computing and engineering um also the the more um under the under the bonnet of the mixing desk side of music technology and music production and also studio production. It's really important to, for young people, but especially for parents, to understand that, that careers in the music industry range not just from um, studio production and composing for media and film and television and all of that, but also the people who are designing the interfaces and the hardware is ubiquitous sounds mm. everywhere so th that means that there are many jobs the the creative industries are worth i think over 100 billion a year mm. in this country yeah, and yeah. that those industries include phenomenal range of jobs in, including sound and audio um, and when you think about it in those terms it's an in incredibly prolific range of career options yeah, there. Yeah. The health industry as well. I mean, mm. we, we, if you can inspire people to study music technology in terms of signal processing and uh, machine listening and feed into those sorts of um, health and engineering mm. and science industries. But the, the nice thing about music technology is it has that element of play and yeah. um, um, musical expressiveness. Uh, so you, you can really, you, you could say 
instead of thinking about it in terms of STEM, we, we talk about STEAM now, so STEM with an A in the middle re representing the arts. Mm, nice. Um, and we, ha we had a project um, a few weeks ago where we had, I think it was 11, 11 to 13-year-old girls, and they were working with Eleanor Cully and Ryoko Akama, and they were working on, on little motors. They were soldering mot motors, some of them for the first time, and transducers, and they made a sound installation mm. where the motors were, were striking objects and they were listening to the sound and transducers were playing into objects and they could choose what the objects were. So that in some case it was the teddy bear or a CD case, which was very clever, I thought, or a, a balloon. And they created this sort of magical space. So it really encapsulates this this sense that it's, it's about experimentation and play and mm. science and um, seeing the connections between all of those things and yeah. creative arts so these well. could be people who may not end up going into the sound world but using it as a way of inspiring them basically yeah yeah you also have done soldering workshops as well i know that nina and Zoe have come and is that right those done here yeah. as part of, is that part of the university or the yorkshire sound women's network or i should probably explain all yeah. of that then um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll go back another step before that so i as of my phd i was really interested in um creating situations where people can take risks and play and learn through collaboration um and i had this sort of model this idea that if you create the right circumstances that people be become more relaxed take more risk and, and risk is required for learning then they will interact talk and talk being the sort of as Vygotsky would say, the tool for high mental development mm. in, in terms of young children. But if you think about trying to explain one of these synthesizers, you are, you almost feel your brain working, you know, as you're yeah, trying yeah, to articulate yeah, yeah. something. So getting students to talk to each other is super important from that point of mm. view. And the best way um, to what is it, the best way to learn is to teach, isn't that what they say? That's what they say. Yeah. 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 Um, so if you if you create a situation where people have more agency uh, themselves away from the formal assessment of of the curriculum, um, you create an environment where people become more enterprising and they can start their own initiatives like a sand pit. Um, so we did this for a while, and then I thought, well, the as many do, the audio industry is a very male-dominant, and we have overwhelming statistics that, that support that. Um, and I could talk about that, but I could point you to some books as well. <laughs> yeah, that's so. it. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, Isn't it something like 5%? Is, is it 5% women to or women are non-binary versus I think male? the audio... I think the... Around 5% of the Audio Engineering Society members right. are women... Uh, the Women's Audio Emission uh, website say 5%. Yeah. Uh, the, the recent Annenberg report has a lot of interesting statistics that actually show that behind the desk studio producers, I think, is 2% yeah. uh, for their particular report. It's a really good report. But also, in terms of applications to university courses, Georgie Bourne and uh, Carl Devine produced a report on, based on UCAS applications from A-level music technology to mm. music tech degrees. It was based on 10 years of applications uh, during a time where applications were increasing by 1,400%. If you think about that, that's an insane increase in applications, 90% of them male. Mm. So, um, And also you've got all the female pressure statistics about... Um, uh, festivals as well and it, yeah, it's an yeah. overwhelming landscape uh, so I was thinking that very naively really if we could bring some people together and start creating these more comfortable environments where the risk is um, the risk is associated being with being different from everybody else in the mm. room in this case being the only woman in a in a culture that associates masculinity and te technology that there may be some benefit to bringing people together and yeah. 
And so the Yorkshire Sound Women Network was started with a group of 16 people who came to the first meeting in Huddersfield um, in 2015. And together we worked on developing the organisation and eventually um, it became a community interest company and the relationship with the university is strong mm. and the, the university has given the organisation a lot of support. Um, but what that has enabled is that we've been able to um, employ somebody in order to do fundraising and then get successful youth music grants in and leading to, and other funding streams in as well, but leading to um, new music, two new music tech clubs for girls, one in Doncaster and mm. one with Leeds Beckett, um, a tour of 20 schools around Yorkshire where um, the arts leader is talking about um, music technology and it's a very practical workshop but, but presenting key iconic people as well oh, nice. um, and we've had ser we've had a series of workshops um, continually through that time by regional groups who take autonomy themselves to deliver workshops um, we were able to do a quick survey of recording studios in the Yorkshire area and get a sense of the statistics there and do an advocacy film and a pamphlet and it's very upbeat it really just shows um, what the landscape looks at and what we could be doing to to support diversity. What form so, were you talking about the going to schools and doing workshops? Like, what form do they take to inspire pe kids who may not have even considered mm -hmm. this? We've done a whole range of different things. So mm. those those are delivered by Pam Hume, um, who's um, amazing. She does work with uh, organ and electronics and live electronics. Um, and in this context, what she's doing is, um, I believe it's to do with loop, pedal loops. Mm. And I haven't seen the workshop yeah, because okay. actually now, now we have a team. Um, I fortunately can, I don't have to be yeah. involved in all aspects of it. The, the workshops I've been mostly involved with have been the Go Compose, uh, workshop so I can talk about those mm. um, <clears throat> they are a partnership with Sound and Music which is a national national organisation and they applied for funding from Youth Music which meant that they could fund for us 20 workshops for girls and so I had to think about this question of um, you know how do you develop these workshops for girls I was, mm. I was really inspired by what Nina and Zoe did that you mentioned earlier so they, they designed their own printed circuit board Nina developed it um, and created uh, these beautiful packs where all the components were in the packs, all the, the printouts had all the instructions, just like a jigsaw puzzle. Mm. And she made these videos that show how to sold, do a, solder a joint. Um, <clears throat> and we together, we worked on these workshops. And um, Zoe delivered some workshops on uh, synthesis pioneers as well, who are women. Mm. Um, and so I was just sort of in the background supporting them and they really did everything and they yeah. did an amazing job because what we found, and there's a, there's a beautiful video of, on, of this on our website. Yeah, yeah I've seen that video. It's <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. It's, when, it's when one of the girls said, with this we could change the world. I'm like, yes, this is what we want you to <laughs> understand is what's yeah. happening behind and, yeah. and, and your, their growth in confidence and the power that they realise they have to be more in control um, mm. it's just lovely it's really inspiring but with those workshops it, it made me realise what is possible because we, we took a lot of risks because we had young people soldering yeah, yeah. Uh, we, what could we possibly go wrong <laughs> <laughs> and amazingly it, it went really really well yeah. and I've taken that workshop and delivered it um at Bradford Girls Grammar and that, that's gone well as well cool. as far as I'm aware yeah, yeah. Um, no burnings and, no, and um 
And Lola York has taken the idea mm. and developed her own practice out of that as well. And, and that's really nice. But with the Go Compose, what I wanted to do was create a, a series of workshops that would expose them to a wide range of types of music technology. Yeah. So this year's sequence started with DJing. Um, so we, we managed as part of the funding to get some CDJs and get Angel Lee in to, to run a workshop mm. there and get their confidence up on working with other people's music. And then Caro C came and delivered a sort of Delia Derbyshire radiophonic workshop inspired practice yeah. um, where she's using um, lots of found objects that she brings, including a, a sort of Delia Derbyshire lamp. Lampshade, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lampshade, lampshade, yes, yeah. exactly. She's got one like it. And nice. She, she gets them really exploring with those materials and recording to garage band and thinking about sound in that sort of way. Do they, um, does she have, like, lots of systems? Or I'm just is this something that you can do with just a few, like, or one computer and just crowd everyone around? It's from the practicality of, like... I think about those things and how much resources are actually required to... Yeah. Yeah. I, that's a really good question. I'm, uh, she uses iPads, so they're either yeah, working okay. in pairs with headphone splitters or they're working individually. And yeah. I think the conversation's really nice because of what I said before, it's really important that they're talking and negotiating mm. and listening and evaluating. Um, another workshop that was delivered last year, actually, uh, I've got a, um, a pile of... H4N audio mm. recorders, and that I, I kind of call it sound harvesting. Um, Jess Aslan had them in groups of three, um, just going out and listening to sounds and recording what they thought would make a good kick or what m would mm. make it so they could reconstruct a, a, a sort of track. Yeah. Um, and then she had a different game for them, but using the same format where they were... Um, going to record sounds and then play them back later and get other people to guess what they were. So it's a little <laughs> bit more abstract than the first game. Um, That's quite, that is a good game, right? Record a sound, manipulate or slow it down, speed it up. Can you tell what it still is? Yeah, or yeah, can yeah. can you still tell what it is? Yeah. Um, and it really drew them into that, that world of sound in, and the technology was sort of a by-the-by the, by the yeah, thing. Yeah. And, yeah. and when you're working with the... Um, young people like that you, some of them are very shy of using the technology and, and will willfully refuse to touch it mm. for, for whatever reason um, and I'm interested in what gets them from that point to actually being confident and being able to use it and take yeah, risks that and sense of agency it. like you're allowed to do this yeah that's um I certainly I can speak only for like design of being involved in some of the world of like the designing and building of electronic music equipment like as a case in point, there's literally right. a Moog Voyager in the corner. Yeah. You can see that Moog's recent synthesizers, like their synthesizers like the Grandmother and Matriarch, which have coloured panels, so they're no longer, well, not exclusively, but in these instruments are using coloured panels, um, which a lot of people are like, oh, you've made them look, you know, you made them look toy-like. And they're like, that is, that is exactly why they've done it. It's like, oh. it's meant to be played with yeah. like a toy, and it's... Um, it's interesting to see. I don't know if that's. There are other people that you know, like you have the called little bits. I was just and stuff. thinking yeah, about yeah, those, yeah, yeah, which are things that are sort of. Yeah. They are toys, but they're not toys at all. They're like they're sort they're of like toy gateways. Yeah, they're yeah. gateways. <laughs> they're like sneaky toys. That's <laughs> yeah. Oh, by the way, you're doing FM synthesis yeah, now. Yeah. I was like, couple of steps, amazing. I think they're a brilliant. Absolutely genius invention to have yeah. that hands-on uh, playfulness mm. with it. And that, it's the same with the Makey Makey. Yeah. Um, to, to, do you know about the no, Makey? No, I've never, never So the Makey is a circuit board where you you, um, 
you basically connect it to your computer via USB and then you, you have um, a PCB which you can connect outputs through to like a, a series of bananas. Yeah, literal <laughs> bananas. Literal Not banana, banana jacks, bananas. <laughs> Actual bananas. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you can just um, set up the computer so it's playing, you know, if you hit E on the computer, it will play a sound in logic. So... Um, it okay. takes like five minutes to set it up. So use it. Wait, but using bananas. But then, yeah. so do you touch? You're touching the fruit, and it causes reactions, or it what? Does it ju- it? It's just, I guess, it's just an on-off signal on a yeah. particular key on the keyboard, yeah. and that, that, and then, however, you set up the keyboard to play whatever software. Yeah. So it might be set up to play a computer game up, down, and so on. I see. Um, and it could just control so, anything. I see. Yeah, so if you, if you put in some yeah. music software. Um, I think I did it a couple of years ago where I just had some flowers in vases and I was playing the flowers. And it's this playfulness which mm. really, um, uh, which is really interesting. And actually, Vicky Clark did a workshop um, for the Girl Compose where she was working with sound and light. Um, and she did something a little bit like this where she, she had the students drawing a lot of graphite onto paper yes. yeah, yeah. Um, in order to, to take a conducted signal and uh, play a sound and so one of the girls who was slightly older realized you know i i could clip this to my ear and, and touch you and this is going to still play the sound okay, and yeah. she was off she was really experimenting then i was like, this is this is what it's for this yeah, is yeah. The, the really motivating yeah because if uh, they you know output. if you're asking or if you're pushing these kinds of buttons and boundaries today what can you do tomorrow exactly yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was going to actually ask literally recommendations for like things to inspire children, I suppose. Um, that's yeah. like, because I've got a child on the way and it's like, I think I was having a conversation with someone who said um, kind of ironically, but I th- they were possibly being slightly serious. And I think it's probably, I can see why this would make sense. But they were like to inspire, if you want to inspire your kid to take up electronic music, don't let them have a go on your synths. <laughs> yeah, you tell them they are not allowed it. to touch yeah. the synths. Well, that's me and the record player, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do not, whatever you do, don't touch that. It's a Darren Brown, don't press the red button. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I'd like to think he knew exactly what he was doing and was like, this is what I can get Liz to... I can turn Liz into a... <laughs> It's I can assure you, sound I've, pioneer. Uh, judging by his response, I don't think that's yeah. what... Yeah. But I Maybe. suppose then, yeah, and this is it, it's like... And yeah, this person said, like, just say no, don't let them touch the thing. And then then obviously one day you do let them let them have a taste of it. But it's and I think about that, like, I don't want to be an insufferable bore to my children. Mm -hmm. um, But I know that I want them to be inspired, you know, and I, I was lucky to have brothers. And I think having, you know, having those kind of role models where they are you know, they're older than you, and I don't know what I'd necessarily respect my brothers at that age, (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like, where it's like, I didn't put them on a pedestal and and treat their their recommendations as kind of um, gospel, but I certainly did listen to the music that they provided Mm. me, and and it was up to, it was my own choice what I latched onto, but, Mm. so I suppose it is the question of, like, what can we give our children, how do we best inspire you, and people obviously you've written so, you know, this is your like <laughs> special subject, but it's I know there's well, no one size fits all. I I think I mean in terms of my research, um, that's all about collaborative learning and, and creativity and, and understanding how creativity is is not situated in in terms of the individual. This idea of the the lone genius is quite a 
sort of old old notion that we we can exist in that sort of way and that really creativity is distributed by whether it's between us and then the natural discourse that we're having and, mm. and where that leads or or the performance of a jazz band where a jazz a jazz group that has a history of multiple conversations if you like but ultimately exposure to exposure to exposure to equipment exposure to listening mm. um uh, to conversations a chance to to talk and and space to play i think is is important mm. so to to definitely get hands on and, and try things but um i think it was keith swanwick's um spiral of uh, of development in, in relationship with music really is a nice place to to look for more information on this so um, what is that keith swanwick uh did some really interesting research on uh, musical development of young people as they're getting older. And, and the spiral is a really nice illustration of how very young children uh, through to young adults relate to sound in a progressively different way. So very young mm. children um, will experience the vibration and the sensation and um, it's it's they're experiencing sound as they experience everything. It's um, tactile and... You know, so to to mm. have a guitar close by, by and just to mm. experiment with the sound is really yeah. important. So you um, feel it as much as you hear it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there there aren't any. So there's no real social conditioning there, and there, there isn't the dexterity to try or even have an interest in trying to, to to emulate certain things. But there comes a point where emulation starts to happen, and then when we get to teenage, identity becomes. Uh, difficult to separate from music and, <laughs> yeah. and i saw this with the girls coming for the go composer yeah. as well they're, they're trying to assert their identity through their practice as well and if if you're bringing them something very avant-garde it's like what what is this you know yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know even if they've grown up with it they may push against it and want to conform because their identity and who they want to present to the world is um changing so radically mm. at that point and they they may find that they only develop um a recurrent interest in those early experiences much later, um, more like 18, 19 or so. Uh, it was really interesting here to have students producing music which had a very strong 80s sound to it. There was yeah. a kind of 80s resurgence a couple of years ago. But you're talking, um, this is from kids who are not really children of the 80s. No, but yeah. I think their parents were. Yeah, okay. And yeah. so they, they've yeah, grown yeah, yeah. up with the sound in the background yeah. and... And somehow it's in, it sort of is in their DNA. I don't know what way we're influencing our kids to try and make them, you know, live like we did back in the day. But certainly I know that I would play, I would be playing the music of my youth to my kids yeah, incessantly sure. and yeah. desperately hoping that they would enjoy it. <laughs> I listened to a really but interesting podcast. Sorry, Sorry um, uh, just a podcast about a guy who, who really wanted his do his daughter to be a great rapper. <laughs> so, <laughs> Just full stop. Just like, uh, he was really into certain that. kinds of music. I uh, know. Wait, he he was really into certain kinds of music, and um, he wanted to share that with her so passionately, mm. and he wanted to her to pick it up. But she she loved it, and she he found out she was a great rapper because she learned all the words, and she she just could do it all brilliantly. Mm. And she was ahead of her years in that respect. But then she became a teenager, and she started dissing his interests, and she had more contemporary interests. Yeah. And, but it didn't mean that they go anywhere. But she didn't want to disappoint him either. Yeah. Um, I think it, it was either uh, This American Life or, yeah, yeah. or Radio Lab or something like that. But um, it's, yeah, it's interesting what you said about. So then, young children respond to music in a sense sensory. Well, like in terms of vibration, I was amazed the other 
the other day we were sitting, sitting with my friend's little girl and I had the rattle and was just like doing like a constant shh, 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 shh. And she just starts to like rock mm, forward and mm, back. Mm, mm. Like, and I was like, is that because you've seen your parents doing that? Or are you, I didn't know. I'm going to be very much looking out for that mm. and my own kid. It's like how much of our love for music is is hardwired and how much mm. is learned. Would they invent music on their own, given enough agency? <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, all, all I, from my point of view, all I could say, I mean, even, uh, you know, in the, in the womb, and after a certain point, a child can hear mm. sound. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're a cellist, you play the cello, you know, if, yeah, you, yeah. if you want that, you know, if it's calming for a baby, it must be calming for a, a baby that's not yet born. Yeah. Uh, so... I think it's important to just have the have things available so they can explore on their own terms and mm. as long as it's safe and yeah. uh, child appropriate. Yes, indeed. <laughs> but I wouldn't I wouldn't be shy of playing um, again age appropriate but, but complex sound mm. uh, to a young person at all because they take different things from it mm. um, and often very surprising things as well and yeah. I don't think anything should be saved for older or more sophisticated ears or you know mm. it's uh i'm sure I, I can't remember i read this but i was someone was talking about playing classical music to young people and saying how um everyone always thinks that the music that young people respond to is going to be the fastest most impressive but actually there's a mm. tremendous capability and interest in young people to listen to the more relaxing and sort of mm. slower and more kind of ambient pieces, like they almost go over better. Um, I think it's interesting, the idea of not imposing your own <laughs> judgment mm. on, on just, yeah, being open and letting people try everything so they can make their own decisions, not being too prescriptive. Just going back to that, uh, the reason that I mentioned that podcast is mm. I remember now he said... Um, he didn't want to be listening to kiddies' tunes all the time. He wanted his kids to be into his tunes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> because he was going to have to listen to them yeah, all the enough. time. It's like, I'm and not doing what, yeah, wheels on the bus. Exactly. Like, so just, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Obviously, we're talking about inspiring young people. And it's also, that's the other thing. Uh, and we're talking about with women in, in this industry, inspiring women. But also, it's like, then it leads us on to this question of how are we restricting women mm. without realising it? Because that's the other thing that I'm thinking, like, I don't know what gender my child is, um, and it doesn't matter what gender my child is. It's mm. absolutely, I'm just happy to have a child who's healthy. Um, but my brothers have kids and lots of our friends do, and I'm sort of, you know, with having those discussions at home about, like, you know, what will we say and do without realising it that will compartmentalise mm. the interests of our children and make judgments on the, or decisions on their behalf mm. <laughs> what they're supposed to be playing with? And you get friends who say, you know, try what I might, despite all my efforts, she loves this doll, she loves dolls and pink. <laughs> you know, I, right. didn't, I didn't put that on her and I'm like, did you or did you not? And, and it's an enormous and impossible thing, but I suppose then the question, you know, from where we are here is talking about music and, and this industry where there's just, mm. just not enough women and it's clear that, that despite our best efforts, it's not been a welcoming place because um, I think to state for the record that that thing that people, the common thing that people, you know, when I... If I brought this subject up and they said, well, the reason that 
there aren't any women. They're all perfectly welcome, but it's just a slightly boyish thing. All this technology, all this gear is just boyish, isn't it? And, and my answer to that is uh, all of this gear is for the making of music. And don't tell me for a second that there is anything inherently boyish about music. That's just, mm. that doesn't make any mm -hmm, sense mm -hmm, at all. Right. So I suppose then it's, how, how do you think that we are making it hard for, for girls? And, and what can we do to not do that anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or do it less? I think you're right to, to take it back to social conditioning in childhood. Yeah. I think that, that it's important to, to recognise that there are very significant social conditioning contexts that influence parents, school, children, peer groups to have certain role models and, and behave in certain ways. Um, now, I don't... I don't, I'm no expert on gen, gender in terms of nature-nurture, yeah. but I, I am conscious of research that shows, uh, so Victoria Armstrong's research and also David Hargreaves and Anna Colley, research that shows that when, when girls in the 80s were getting uh, involved in music technology at school, there was a correlation between dropout and fall away from music technology and self-confidence. Right. Um, and that around that time, uh, there were more boys involved in gaming and using the computer at home um, and more comfortable using the computer in the music technology. You know, yes. Of course, music technology was introduced to encourage boys um, right. into doing music because there weren't enough boys doing music. Um, it was predominantly a female, a, a women's sort of girl subject. Um so wow, okay. the, yeah, when you and when you dig into in musical instruments, some musical instruments are gendered. So it's, we associate certain historically certain instruments okay, with one gender yeah. or another. So yes, it's a big, it's a really big subject. This idea of gender, gender and music, and then you've got technology and masculinity and industry as well. Um, and trying to press against all of those things is quite difficult if there are fewer girls then coming through the system then you have what we call this leaky pipeline of of girls who who have a sort of spotlight shining on them if they're the only girl or the only woman yeah. in a space yeah. because then what happens is a feeling of needing to to dispel those myths and being responsible for that um and not being permitted to make the same mistakes that the that all average people may you know on the same mm -hmm. playing field should be able to make so there uh, i see there are sort of two extremes you're, you're held to a potentially a, you may be felt to be held to a, a potentially higher standard or higher expectation because you are representing um and this doesn't work only in terms of gender of course you think about it intersectionally we need to think about race yeah um and ability sexuality and um when you're when you're different then it might be a feeling that you, you represent you represent all people yeah and, and that's a lot yeah. of pressure yeah. especially <laughs> if um you feel like there's a greater lens on you and on the other side um, the pressure is to not not prove somebody's assumption that you're going to make an make a mistake so not to sort of prove the opposite so it's like a flip switch mm. rather than being able to just sit in the middle and be fine you um, can do and, no right basically yeah. right so yeah. it is helpful to have environments where you can just 
relax and not have to worry about that, which is why same group environments are helpful because yeah. they're not completely safe environments. They're still complicated spaces, but some of those anxieties can be just put to one side where you get involved in the kit and make a loud feedback noise or mm. um, ask a question that you would feel a bit too exposed to ask in um, an all-male environment. So it takes a while, and if you've had let's say you've had some negative experiences, some explicitly sexist or marginalising experiences of which we have many documented, that can um, make you accumulatively more resistant to exposing yourself to mm. it happening again. So yeah. you might see someone come into your space who might might actually f appear a little bit brittle or a bit shy or a bit like they... I have to be very careful because I don't want to... I also don't represent all views about all women yeah, yeah. Um, or, or women's um, experiences of those spaces. But it, it's worth bearing in mind that they may well have had other experiences and would like to be assumed to know, not assuming that they require a certain degree of advice or um, additional support. Just assume that they know and make sure that the, the systems are very transparent for everybody. So it's a level playing field so that the equipment available, for example, there's no myth around what that is or that there's no hidden list or you don't have to seek special permission that there's a very clear list of what the equipment is, how mm. to book it out, how to access it. So no one feels like there's a kind of power relationship where you have yeah, to... Yeah big borrow and steal or you have to be buddies with a certain person to get something so the way that the systems work if the systems are really transparent and fair for everybody it just evens a playing field for the people who may feel a bit more exposed or a bit more vulnerable in other ways um, but also studio environments grace banks produced a really lovely article in the quietus about this how studio environments can be welcoming or more hostile mm. and you may not notice that if yeah, you're yeah. you know you might have some picture of somebody on the wall who is known for um, some kind of misconduct but you're not aware of it or you don't really give much thought to it that could be hugely triggering for someone yeah, yeah. else in that space yeah. um, so being aware of that but also pushing even further in the other direction making sure that it's not just white men that are on the walls making sure that there's full diversity in that space and talking to more diverse people about mm. how to make that space welcoming for all people as well um, like talking to organisations like the Women's Audio Mission and asking how they, they operate and how they make an inclusive environment. Yeah, the onus mm -hmm. is on people who are setting up and run those kinds of environments to be mindful of the way that, that they can come across. I suppose that's that leads to, and it is that kind of question, it would be good to just talk straight on. For the people who who don't think there's a problem, can you talk to them, <laughs> you know, just talk a bit about that? You know, and it's... Um, and with no sense of judgment as well, because mm -hmm. it isn't helpful to, um, you know, people can't help their programming in a sense, which is maybe yeah. a bit of a judgmental way of me putting it, but just, just to say we are, you know, we're all the products of our upbringing and every experience yeah. that's ever happened to us. So it's, it's hard for people. Um, but, you know, I, speak, I can speak for myself, and I'll speak only for myself, that I, you know, if I'm hearing that, uh, you know, a person or a, a group or a minority, you know, of, of anyone, of any kind, if they're saying there is a problem, you know, and I'm I'm not comfortable with this, then as I I take the view that as a person who is not a member of that group, that it is not my place to say whether the other people are right or mm -hmm. wrong about it, and it's not it's no skin yeah. off my teeth 
to try and understand or listen and be more welcoming if if the person is saying that the environment is not that welcoming then it would be rude to discount it and it would be the onus is on me to just listen and and treat it as if it is really a thing it's mm-hmm. the thing of believe women and so i suppose the question is just what do you say to those people who say there isn't really a problem or it's like two things there isn't really a problem and um the little things don't really matter it's um well i suppose just to handle the second one first the, the little things are incremental it's like water wearing away a cliff yeah uh, eventually it all collapses uh, yeah. you know if you if you expect people to tolerate a certain amount of constant pressure because of their identity um eventually they'll just step away and, and they'll give up and, and considering what we were saying before about the size of the industry what a waste that is for that industry but that that means that the economic privilege is coming back to the same people and that's where this begins for, for centuries economic mm. privilege has been with primarily white men and that means that if you're not disadvantaged it may be more difficult to see and and experience those things Mm. and so I used a sort of flip scenario of stay-at-home dads to try and help to explain how that feels so if you if you can imagine going to an all mums group and you're the stay-at-home dad and and people are assuming you don't know how to operate with your child you don't know how to look after your child you don't know what that child needs and and it's, it's not that people are saying that to you directly but they might be benevolently trying to take it off you or suggest certain things and I think it's a nice flip way of saying you need to empathize with what's happening but also um, I wonder how many women have to say this not only is a problem but it's a kind of violence against women and um you know, how many people have to say that yeah, before it's before believed? you agree that there's what, a problem is there yeah. a number are, are, are there like do there, do there have to be four million people before yeah. before that one person thinks okay maybe you know if it, if it was the other way around maybe it would be differently yeah. maybe just take one person to say there's a problem i don't know um, <laughs> but to to have so many stories of um sexual violence against women discrimination i've been on the wrong end of violence as well in relation to this topic even just speaking up about uh, marginalized people mm. makes you vulnerable um so you have to become more resilient which means mm. that you you know you have to um spend time on this as well rather than making yeah, your work just, just and doing so stuff. that's uh, i mean there's a huge amount to celebrate about women's organizations and women's groups from my point of view and and those groups sometimes are set up to to focus inwardly and some would would criticize them to be sort of echo chambers but i think that they are resource giving communities where people can come back out again yeah. and and uh, step back out as a minority and say okay these are my resources um we're not taking anything away from you we're 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 fundraising and we're doing more for addressing this balance where where there's enough there's like an enormous weight on one side of the scales of centuries of um, privilege and the other side are really trying to push against it so yeah we have um, all women Mm. events to try and push against that immense momentum you know weight to, to get even a little bit of momentum there yeah that's um, the idea, yeah, that what, what women are looking for is a, 
the quality is a quality not right. not to take over. No, well, it's literally <laughs> on the whole. Yeah. <laughs> I think what we want to see is a, a chance to um, on the whole, what, what women want is a chance for girls and women to have just the same opportunities without without walking into a studio, a studio and somebody saying maybe ignoring you or mm. assuming that you don't know anything and you need everything teaching to you when you've been maybe teaching it for 20 years. Or, yeah. These are incrementally frustrating. <laughs> um, yeah, and all the way through to people being molested yeah. or verbally, ablu- verbally abused online. I've heard, I've heard and seen some horrendous things directed at women. Why should, why should anybody tolerate that? Uh, just because it's considered to be a male domain. I've been into studio environments and felt incredibly uncomfortable in that space. And and I think the argument, sometimes the counter-argument is, well, why shouldn't the lads have a space that's just for them? But this is a professional space. So this is a different... It's an environment where, you know... It's like... uh, um, I, and that comes around to a sense of entitlement. Yes. Um, yeah. When I've brought up this subject and I've had a person say that, you know, oh, you're poli- this whole thing is kind of politicising the, you know, what was supposed to be my sort of, this is my little sanctuary to talk about since. It's like, how selfish to have that sanctuary all to yourself. That, that is like, the definition of privilege, really, yeah. to be able to do your practice without having to think about any of these issues. Yeah. That, that is a privilege. Yeah. That, that's, all that's, that, that's all that women are asking for as well, is right. just to be able to do yeah. the same thing you do. Or not to, to have, have to think space. about race. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, not to have to wonder if, if you're going into a job interview, whether the person interviewing you is racist. Yeah. Um, to not for that to not even cross your mind is yeah. a privilege. Yeah, and I think it's yeah. It's if if I think if the people saying that there's no problem could just spend just one day in that person's the other person's shoes, then mm-hmm. they would perhaps see all the millions of yeah. yeah. As you say, like even just having to think about yeah, is it safe for me to be in a place or safe to walk home this way? Absolutely, those yeah. kinds of things, which you know. That the person saying there's no problem just has never even occurred to them is even mm. a thing that other people experience every single day. It's like worrying about climate change. It's like what could possibly go be wrong with just making the world a, a place with cleaner air? You know, it's like what possible skin <laughs> off your teeth? Could, sorry, what skin off your teeth to to make it a more welcoming space? And if it's uh, you know, my again, it's sort of my speaking entirely for myself. I'm like, if there are some events which are for women and non-binary, um, on non-white people, where it's 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 a space it's just for this, this these people to just not worry about anything and just enjoy the thing that you know I enjoy doing. It's like, what possible skin off my teeth? And mm-hmm. is is the existence of this activity group for this person? going to somehow reduce the amount of availability for me to make electronic music or do what I like or sign Yeah, we, we do have people ask years. sometimes, uh, do you do events for boys? And I can't, sometimes I can't work out, are they actually asking or are they asking um, to make a point? So I usually point them towards other events which are in the public domain and point out that you probably find there aren't 
that, that they are all boys. That's the thing. Unless yeah. you advertise something specifically for girls or specifically for women, um, it probably is going to be mm. all boys. All boys. Absolutely um, and right. how do you make that change if that's the case? Um, I was talking to Erin Barra um, two or three years ago. Um, and she had a nice way of putting it. It's not like it's cake and, you know, we're taking away from your half. It's, that's not the way that it works. There's enough for everybody. And these organisations that are uh, uh, like Both Sides Now, the Leeds Music Group and the Yorkshire Sound Women Network, these are all organisations that are fundraising specifically to do that work, making those spaces. And so, for example, with the Girl Compose, we managed to bring 50 girls in over the two years, most of them this year, who have never had any music technology experience and won't, And they've said they don't get that particular kind of experience at school either. Mm. Um, so, you know, where would they get it? Well, we, we're putting a lot of work, extra time and extra work into it. We make our own decisions to do that. So we're not... We wouldn't be doing it otherwise, is what I'm saying. Mm. It's not taking yeah, yeah, yeah. away from somebody. Yeah, yeah. It's just making more um, cake so that right, some other people it. can have some cake as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm, a, I'm a bit afraid of asking this question because it's just perhaps over-reducing and simplifying things. But what, what can anyone do to help, basically? You know, no matter what gender or side you're on. <laughs> not sides here, but just like, what can people do to, to help, be it... And I suppose there's many layers. It's it's from the way that you phrase, conduct things, um, being mindful about the way that events are organised. And I mean, yeah. uh, this is oh, why yeah. it's a ridiculous mm -hmm. question because there's so many parts to it. Such as if you're, I know that if you're invited to speak, you know, I get I get inspired to speak at events. And something that's been pointed out to me, which is a very is something I would not have thought about. Um, you know, hand up. I would just never have occurred to me. Is don't go and speak to event uh, events where you can see there's no diversity in the speakers. Yeah. It's, it's all Absolutely. just blokes, and it's yeah. um, you know. And I wouldn't have thought to have done that. And it's it's really helpful to have had that pointed out because, yeah. of course, it is wrong. And it's just like, yes, okay, right, yes, okay, to yeah. be mindful of those things. And I suppose yeah. it's um, you know all the way from that to when you go on a forum don't say hey guys and you know and don't yeah, yeah, you know yeah. it's those th it's those little things which people yeah. i know people say those are small things i guess it's going to be a very general <laughs> question but what can we do both broadly and also specifically to help these organizations i think i probably need to take a minute to make a <laughs> list of what is um Google the hashtag audio equity pledge yes because that that has quite a few things in there uh, ranging from environment and so on um, checking who else is on the panel and making a stand it's a very powerful thing when somebody who isn't a woman makes that stand on behalf of women that's incredibly powerful and helpful because it means that the general consensus is this is not okay so in, in terms of diversity that's really important same with festivals same with language and environments just thinking about that and, and seeking advice as well on, on how to look at something or get some get a consultant in if necessary and then approaching organizations like the Yorkshire Sound Women Network saying I have a platform or I have some resources or I have a little bit of admin time, would you like some support um, on the kind of back backstage side of the organisation? Can we work together on something? So collaborating. Um, instead of setting up a new initiative 
to benefit a particular demographic, seek out and build collaborative relationships with that demographic so that you know that what you're developing is supportive of that group and their interest and it comes from them. Um, Make sure that it's not a platform for selling yourself. So um, it can be the case where an industry provider might say, we'd like you to use our equipment because you're working with girls and we want people to see girls using the equipment. So be very mindful about who is being centred and who is genuinely benefiting um, because there is a tendency maybe for for capitalism to happen. To look at the, the way that a job advert is presented or when it's possible for people to come to uh, mm. an interview yeah. or making sure that there's childcare facilities is more evening, more mm. levelling. Yeah. So looking at the systemic barriers that women are facing in terms of the sort of day-to-day getting of work and progression, um, the music industry has this kind of informality to it. So looking at spaces where that can slip into something less, mm. le- you know, yeah. more casual and making sure that professional conduct is is there. So making safer spaces, policies, anti-harassment. But importantly, as with the um, access space, there's access space in Sheffield have a wonderful document that explains how to make a safer space. And mm. one of the points in there is about you can have a safer spaces policy, but you need to have someone who's going to actually implement it. Yeah, Otherwise, it's it. meaningless. Yeah. You need the confidence. So there's that. Yeah, I'll, there are probably several yeah. other things. And I, I encourage people to to share what those are and to be receptive. And I think that the other side to that is is um, when approaching an organisation that's supporting women and looking looking for a woman to deliver an event, be mindful that that woman needs paying as well. It, it, yes, it's a good cause, but that doesn't mean that women should be giving up their free time. Yeah, the burden so, of, like, you know, right, it's put on them. To, yes. Yeah, like. So when people approach the Yorkshire Sound Women Network, we have a pool of artists and um, project managers and so on, and... Um, we come back and say, well, this is the recommended fee that we suggest, so we, we can recommend some people, but not for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, th- I hopefully we're beyond that now, but um, just very occasionally that does happen as well. So making women accountable for this is not acceptable anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. Everybody has to be accountable for diversity and to look at the systemic issues that that hold people back. And to do that work, to to seek out artists and to seek people out rather mm. than just do take the easiest path because it's well ask them to seek it out them. for you, right? Yeah, yeah. cool, good. <laughs> Is there anything else? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Actually, we should talk very quickly about your Eurax system as well. You've got. Um, was this 120? Did you say it was 120? I think it's 120. It's a while since I got it. Um, it's like a really weird width. It's like, yeah. I say weird just because it's, there's like these kind of, like normally it's like, what is it? One of, well, we say it was one of four because that's like the airline, you've had to, you said you yeah. had to check this into the hold, which is just like, I can't, yeah. super yeah, fearful. Well, that, maybe that's a newbie sort of error. I, I got into, my journey into this has been... Um, through working with the Yorkshire Sound Women Network, mm. I've learned so much about music technology. Yeah. I didn't anticipate that. I hoped I would, but I didn't anticipate that. And uh, through uh, meeting Nina and Zoe and seeing, 
you know, soldering the PCB and then seeing that, that I could go away and solder other things and, and also simultaneously thinking hey, maybe I should um, investigate uh, getting my own system together. Um, I started building this. And I had a, a particular compositional output in mind as well. What I wanted to do was control the synth from my acoustic violin. Mm. And I'm thrilled to say I've actually managed to do it. Yeah, yeah, so, nice. <laughs> with some help from uh, a number of colleagues here, especially Owen Green at the university. He's, he's brilliant. But because I'm no Max expert, and, and I think it's important to just try and you learn. When you've got a project, you actually start learning. Um, yeah, yeah, you so, need an objective. Can you talk a bit about how, how did you achieve it? Um, are there any sort of like particularly good things about the implementation, like how you managed to do it? The key part of this was a module called Control, or CTRL, from uh, Delta Labs. Yeah. Uh, Ricky Graham heard what I wanted to do, and he was very generous, and they, they sent me one to experiment, yeah. and, and there's a blog post about that. So the the control, it, it has a USB out. Yeah. On the left-hand side, you've got gates. Yeah. And on the right-hand side, continuous CV. In the software... Um, they sent me some Max objects, one called Helmholtz, a pitch tracker. And so the software is set up to send the gate or the, the frequency yeah. through. What I then did was ask Max to send an output to each of the CV outputs, depending on which frequency I was playing. So I could have it so that the same yeah. frequency was going to four outputs. Or if I play um, a particularly high note... Um, it splits it out. So uh, note played on the G or the D string, so just below or 40 hertz, anything there would only come out of one of the CV. That's anything really cool. on the A string, another yeah. CV, and anything on the E string, another one, which means that you can send those sounds to different oscillators and you can choose, tune those however you like separately, but it, let's say they're all to the same frequency but several high octaves higher. Mm you can create some really beautiful clusters mm. and really play with that. So I love the idea that it's not going to be playing like a synthesized version of what you're playing. It's mm. almost just doing some complete you're almost using the violin as a completely unrelated input device. That's it. Yeah. It's, it's really bon yeah, it's really but bonkers, it's very, it was very like special. Yeah, yeah. When when that first moment when I when I played and it actually played the same frequency back to me. I mean yeah. it's an oscillator you know, it's a sine wave or whatever wave I choose yeah, yeah, yeah. it that's playing back to me. But it was a very special moment to have it speak back, almost like it had come alive because yeah. I was so used to playing on a keyboard or electronic controller. My violin is my violin. It was yeah. just a pickup that I used. So, um, Yeah, it's cool. Since I've been chatting to a couple of people where it's talking about the hybridization of acoustic and, and electronics. It's really... Right. And then more, I think they're, you know... Actually, on two fronts, like one of these people is like using a MIDI bass guitar, and then um, there's lots of interesting kind of control possibilities where you've got, you know, um, using like if you hammer certain frets, it will change the program on the, the you know, the synth and stuff. But mm -hmm. then, you know, and then another one where he's talking about just layering, like, you know, naturally just acoustically layering sounds of, um, you know, the sounds of a violin with the mm. sound of a synth doing something similar mm. or related. So you get that kind of, you know, the collage of the two things. But then I think what you're doing is really interesting where it's it's not even, you're using almost the violin as a, a triggering instrument, but based on the sound. I think there's a lot of scope for using a modular synth, like having a modular synth kind of listen to what you're doing, but almost improvise its own, yeah. Yeah, well, it's... it's 
Yeah. It's nice because then, then I've got clouds on there, so I, I can put it through clouds and explore the sound. There's lots of possibilities, but it was built with this idea, and I, that comes back to this idea of composition and creativity being um, something that happens in relationship with the technology because this happened as a long... T- you know, the building of the synth happened after the idea for the composition, and mm. then the composition changes as a result of learning more about what, yeah, yeah. what those capacities are. and um, I think we all know that sort of experience, but um, I think yeah, yeah. Everyone's <laughs> built their Eurorack modular to do something, and then yeah. like, actually, hang on, like I could do this as well. And I've got uh, the Stepper Acid on there as well, which is Nina and Zoe's yeah, yeah. Um, brilliant Stepper Acid. Now I know they've got a new one out as well, which is Stepper Drum. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. which yeah. sounds just mental the the polyphony that that they've got yeah. on that and the programming capacities sounds it's, brilliant yeah it's really i was having a quick go on the stepper drum at an event in leeds and it's yeah for that it will be really nice just in the same way that with stepper acid you can kind of almost just sort of do a gestural thing and just have have it just listen to what you did but stepper drum even more so you can just you know being able to like just bring stuff in very quickly and then then there's one thing i was thinking it'd be really nice to be you could almost just dab notes and it will just it's like live record all the time and then it'd be nice to have the opposite so you can just kind of mm. dab and erase you know just uh, yeah. so without you know almost with your eyes closed you could just kind of put in whole sort of sections of drums and percussion and then remove them as well i'm a big fan of anything where it's like the least amount of button pushes to get the most amount of <laughs> music is, is fine by me that's like that's the objective. I, one of the things I find hard is um, being able to hear and do at the same time. Mm. I find uh, that as soon as you start looking and, and doing, somehow your your hearing sort of diminishes. I don't know what that is. Yeah. But and it's, it's like exaggerated when performing live as well. I lose all sense of perspective uh, in relation to what, you know, is this any good? Is it anybody yeah, yeah, into, yeah. into this? Yeah. Or I think I saw a... Um, a YouTube video of yours about this, which yeah, is really yeah, that's, interesting. That's something I'm wrestling with. It's well, like the um, the time dilation effect of of when you're performing, your sense of time is completely completely messed up. I saw yeah. someone left a comment on one of my things. It was brilliant. It was like I I had my set and I've designed it for this amount of time, and I went and performed, mm-hmm. and it was supposed to last like however many thirty minutes, and it lasted like twelve. And I just, and for me, I thought I was on the money. That was 30 minutes. I'd done everything I needed to do. Uh And it shows how, how, as a a human being, just how, like, it's like a black hole is, you know, the way that time moves differently for you Mm. near a black hole. It's the same thing in performance, you know. And it's um, actually my advice then was do as as, uh, Eliane Radig did when she was, doing her compositions uh-huh. and it's that absolutely it's like one of my favorite videos on the mm-hmm. whole internet is this brilliant little mini documentary about her mm-hmm. you know she's old now and and no longer creates electronic music but she's still got her up 2500 and she's still got all of the sheets where it was how she did these compositions which were these very like long drones and she's she has a stopwatch and in french she says it's my teddy bear my teddy bear was the stopwatch because it was nice. it was like it was my comforter. If I had this, then I knew exactly you know when when to turn, when to stop, when to do this, when to you know mm-hmm. change a setting. We all need one of those. Yeah, I think it's that thing with time, but also 
is this interesting? Is anybody interested in this really? <laughs> or is it just me? And then the only thing you can resort to is what you find interesting because that's all you have yeah. in that moment. Trust and, in yourself. And just hope that what, it's not catastrophe. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I've had, but I've had two situations, one where it was, I think, a catastrophe, but <laughs> I can't really tell, but I have a feeling it was from their point of view. I don't really know. And then another where somebody said that they could have listened to it for hours. Well... That's okay. That's okay. It's like when you see bands play, if you know the band and you talk to them afterwards, everyone thinks the only thing anyone always says is, oh, you know, we messed up in that bit on that song. That's right. And then all anyone says in response is, what? Like, what bit? Like, it was fine. Yeah, (laughs) and and that, that I think, with when when nobody could possibly have heard what you've done ever before. Then, so, then sort of live electronic music exactly. is, is really a gift in a way yeah. well I suppose it depends how, how nailed down or precise things have to be but again working with the girls that's really nice because they can perform something and no one knows whether they've made a mistake they know what they're trying to do yeah. but they're experiencing performance no differently from us Yeah. nice thank you very much absolute pleasure thank you for inviting me <laughs> I enjoyed it Yes. Thanks, Liz. Is she not ace? Really good to chat to Liz. And I really enjoyed, it's been interesting talking to someone who is not necessarily a music artist in the like traditional sense. There is a whole other facet of education and inspiration. There are people who are working in these fields tirelessly, also connected, very, very connected, obviously completely connected to music technology and um, electronic music, but um, in a slightly different discipline in the sense in in the pursuit of education, uh, which is hugely important and fascinating and is what I do on my YouTube channel. So um, it was a bit of a, a sort of, yeah, I'm an idiot when I was like, of course I should talk to Liz for the podcast. Not least that I think that Yorkshire Sound Women Network is sound. So um, it's a really good thing. I want to ape that point that she made, which is it's not about taking cake away. It's about making extra cake to help new people come into this field that we all love and enjoy. That thing she was saying was kind of like the heart of the matter is that one of the most important thing is giving access to tools and having a safe space in which to play with them, you know, to make mistakes. Because this is something that I think about, and again, I've been thinking about it with Frank, is like, what do I need to give him and at what age and in what circumstances to make him be interested in playing with electronic music equipment like I was? As I talk to Liz in the podcast, there's that moment where I sort of diverged and talk about oh, you know, the route I took and my brother's basically playing me music and my brother's having, my brother had an MC303 and he had an MPC2000, but really it was that MC303, which I actually have. I've actually got that MC303 now. Um, Thanks, Matt. And that having a brother i.e. having access to that and just him being fine with me just taking it off into my room and just putting on a pair of headphones and just playing with the device that that was i was allowed to do that that is what gave me 
the impetus to think, oh, I've, I've had some successful music making experience with this one device. I want more of that. And I was fortunate, extremely fortunate to be left some money from my great uncle after he died. And I plowed that money into music technology equipment and never looked back. You know, but what happens if you don't have that brother? And what happens if you're, you know, you go to somewhere, an event or something like that, and it's and it's scary and there's no one like you. There's absolutely no one like you at that event. And you maybe someone says something that's inappropriate or upsetting or, you know, wrong or a little bit, you know, they didn't think it through. And despite not meaning, you know, ill by it, unfortunately, you just can't help how you feel. And you just think maybe this isn't for me, you know. Making it hard in any way to get into something is not good and is unnecessary. And so, you know, this whole thing is about can we make a safe space and support people who don't feel comfortable in the environments that have already existed? Because the reality is the split that we currently have in this industry is wrong. It's Again, music, it's just music. And there's nothing boyish about music. It's just music. So we're doing something wrong. We have been. Everyone's capable of saying a silly thing or not thinking something through. And it's up to all of us to try and be cool, be super cool, and just make this a welcoming space. As I said before we listened to the podcast, what could be better than sharing the best hobby in the world. Check out the Audio Equity Pledge and check out the links. There's some really good stuff. If you're looking for ways to contribute and help, there's loads of different ways that you can. So that's it. For me, Rachel and Frank. Love you.